we've gathered together to uh, to worship. But before we uh, have our call to worship, there's an item of business that we need to take care of. This is the last Sunday of 2000. For you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning to be able to uh, gather together to, uh, to worship you and to worship uh, uh, God our Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with us. Lord, we just give you praise for who you are. And Lord, thank you that we can uh, come aside and, uh, and gather together to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, we're thankful for you, our Father, and uh, purposing in your, in your heart to redeem sinful people to yourself. We're thankful for God the Son coming as a man to uh, live a sinless life and then die on the cross and be raised again for our justification. And we're thankful for God, the Holy Spirit, to uh, uh, call us, draw us to repentance and faith and give us new birth in, uh, by your grace through faith. So, Lord, we give you praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and offer you our, our worship. And, Lord, we pray that you would be pleased and Christ would be exalted as we worship you together. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I'd like to invite you to take out your hymnals to him. And turn to him. Worship. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter one. We have been studying through the book of Acts, and just recently we have completed Acts thirteen and fourteen, uh, which recorded for us Paul's first missionary journey. And on that missionary journey, Paul toured the region of Galatia and planted several churches there. Uh, uh, in the book of Acts, there are at least four churches recorded there at Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, and Lystra, and in Derby. And we've talked about Paul's journeys there, the preaching of the gospel, and the difficulties, the tribulation that he experienced on that first missionary journey. And now we uh, uh, are going to turn to a letter that Paul wrote to those churches not long after that journey. And, uh, uh, and so we will turn now to the book of Galatians. Paul had uh, planted those churches at great difficulty to himself. You know, you think about a missionary journey. You think about uh, 
2,000 years ago, traveling through modern-day Turkey, having to walk everywhere you went and uh, being out and uh, uh, going from town to town. Just the difficulty of, of travel during that time was sit, certainly significant, but we also noted that Paul experienced great opposition and great persecution. He would go to the synagogues, he would preach, and some would believe, repent and believe and be welcomed into the church. Others would say, we'll hear you later. Uh, but there was also a significant amount of opposition. He was run out of, uh, of Antioch, Pisidia. They, they, they expelled him from the region. He went to Iconium, and when he was there, the people came together and plotted to, uh, to stone him. And when he heard about that plot, he fled to Lystra. And when he got to Lystra, the people from Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium had chased him down, and they got to Lystra, and they, uh, they got the mob there to literally to actually stone him. Uh, and they stoned him to the point that they were convinced they, were, they thought he was dead, and they drug him out of town. But he got up, went back into the village, and then fled to Derby. And then we talked about how uh, uh, after planting the church in Derby, uh, they were ready to bring that missionary journey to conclusion and were going to return to Antioch where uh, they had been sent out, at Antioch of Syria, where they, from where they had been sent out. And the easy way would have been to go to Paul's hometown of Tarsus and then straight into Antioch of Syria. But instead of doing that, Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas backtracked and went back to these cities, encouraging the churches and, plant, and, and, and appointing elders in each of those churches. And then they returned to Antioch of Syria, and that's where Acts chapter 14 ends. And so we see that Paul had experienced great personal difficulty, persecution, great personal sacrifice to plant these churches. And then, not long after that, word comes to him that these churches are uh, uh, giving in to false teachers, false doctrine, are embracing a false gospel. And so Paul takes his pen in his hand under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writes this letter, the book of Galatians, to the churches in Galatia, encouraging them to hold fast to the true gospel. And even in the introduction, he gives a defense of the true, the, true, uh, the true gospel. And so Paul is upset, he's angry, he is astounded. And so he takes his pen in his hand, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter. He writes the book of Galatians. And so Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, uh, the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful on this day that we can uh, come together and focus our attention on the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, 
the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, based on the scriptures alone, for your glory alone. And Lord, we're thankful that your light shines in the darkness in this present evil age. And Lord, we can be set free from the power of sin and death. Uh, a light has shone in the darkness and that we can be set free to live lives that are pleasing to you by your grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, we're so thankful for that, that gospel, that glorious good news that you love the world, that you sent your Son into the world to die for the sins of all who would believe and that you raised him from the dead and you call us to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and in him alone and believe in a salvation that is a gift of your grace for your glory. And Lord, we pray that as we study your word, your spirit would lead us and direct us and that we would, in fact, live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so you can imagine how, how hurt Paul was and how uh, angry he might have been. He planted these churches and then he heard that they were embracing a false doctrine. When he went through the region of Galatia, he experienced a lot of external opposition. Those who rejected the message, those who rejected the gospel, those who had heard the gospel and, and, and turned their hearts against it, hardened their hearts against it, they persecuted Paul and Barnabas, running them out of Antioch, Pisidia, uh, uh, plotting to stone them in Iconium and, and actually doing it in Lystra, stoning him and leaving him for dead and running him out of that town. Paul had, had, had been persecuted and and, and his bloody and beaten body bore the marks of their, their hatred and their opposition to the gospel. And when he got to Derby, instead of going back to Antioch, the most direct route, he went back right back into the teeth of those enemies to encourage the churches and to appoint elders in each of those churches. He had sacrificed greatly for the planting of those churches. And now he hears that they are perverting the gospel, that they are embracing a false gospel. You know, the, when Paul was there, the opposition came from without. But now the opposition was coming from within. False teachers preaching a false gospel had come into the church and the church was being led astray and the gospel was being perverted. And so Paul is angry. He's hurt. He's astonished. He uses in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. And so he takes this pen and he writes this letter. In this letter, he's angry, but he's, he loves the people. And he writes this letter to call them to repentance. And, and this letter is very interesting. This letter he gets right to the point. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He doesn't uh, spend any time, and, and you might, this afternoon, you might be interested to go and compare the introductions of Paul's other letters, like the one in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That church was a mess. That church had a lot of problems. That church had a lot of issues. And Paul's going to write a... Uh, 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 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians addressing the different issues, the different problems in the church. 
But he begins that letter with words of affirmation and words of thanksgiving. I give thanks to you every time God brings you to my remembrance. And, I, and, I, and I'm thankful that God has given you every gift that you need. He begins the letter of 1 Corinthians with, with thanksgiving and, uh, and affirmation. He doesn't do that in Galatians. He gets right to the point. He's very direct because a lot of what's happening in Corinth uh, relates to right living, but what's happening in Galatians relates to right believing, right doctrine, right at the heart of the gospel. The gospel is being perverted, and uh, uh, a gospel of, of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone is being perverted, and people are adding extra laws and extra requirements to the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter in the book of Galatians as a vigorous defense of the good news the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, based on the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. It's a vigorous defense of the gospel and a vigorous attack on the false gospel of salvation uh, by good works, having to add good works, obedience to the law, to the gospel of grace, to our faith in order to be saved. And so the book of Galatians is a vigorous defense of the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And he gets right to the point. And even in the salutation, the greeting, uh, he offers a defense of the gospel. Now, this uh, you could read this and think, well, this is just a standard greeting of a letter of the day. He identifies himself, he identifies the audience, and he uh, uh, greets them desiring grace and peace for them. But if we look at this salutation, we can see this, this greeting, we can see that it is in fact even itself a defense of the gospel, a defense of the good news. And he's going to get right to the point. And, and, and in this greeting, he actually defends the gospel uh, in several different ways. He defends the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, he defends the message by defending himself, the messenger. He defends the gospel he, by emphasizing, by defending the messenger. He says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so this, uh, this defense, and, and Paul is going to actually defend his apostleship uh, significantly in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And so we'll, we'll look more at this in weeks to come as we get into those chapters. But here Paul begins right away with defending the message, defending the gospel message by emphasizing the messenger. Now Paul of his own, you know, would not, would not defend himself uh, except for the fact that in defending himself and his apostleship, he was actually defending the message which he preached. And so he emphasizes that he is an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so when we look at this statement and we look at Paul's defense later in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we can, we can uh, assume that these false teachers were coming uh, to Galatia, to the churches of Galatia, and attacking Paul himself. You know, one of the ways that enemies of the message can try to attack the message is by attacking the messenger. 
Especially if they can't attack the message on the merits of the message, what they'll do is they'll go to the one who preached that message and attack that messenger, try to discredit him, and try to uh, question his credentials so that people then will begin to question the message that that messenger preached. And it seems that's what these false teachers are doing to Paul. They're coming and attacking Paul, and they're saying, you know what, Paul, Paul was not one of the original twelve. Paul was not one of those disciples that was with Jesus for those three years of his earthly life when he ministered in and around Galilee and down in Jerusalem. Paul was not one of the twelve disciples. And so therefore, Paul is not an apostle. He was not one of those men that were personally commissioned and personally sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is, is not an apostle. They were questioning his apostolic credentials. But Paul defends that. Paul says he is an apostle not from men, not through man. He was not sent out by the twelve. He was not sent out by men, but he was personally commissioned and personally sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. And Paul is saying, you know, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he appeared to Paul, and he'll talk about this later. He appeared to Paul and personally commissioned him and personally sent him out. And even though Paul and Barnabas had been sent out by the church at Antioch, they were sent out after the Holy Spirit directed them specifically, as we read about in in Acts chapter 13, to send Barnabas and Saul on the mission to which I have appointed them. And so Paul is defending his apostolic credentials. Jesus is risen and can commission him as the risen, exalted Savior, just as he commissioned the twelve that were with him in his life. And so Paul uh, defends the gospel by defending his apostolic credentials. He is sent out, not from men, or not through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so Paul also uh, uh, shows that there are others with him. Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. And so Paul is defending his apostolic credentials, and he's also saying, well, I've got other witnesses. There are brethren with me. The law says that every matter must be established by two or three witnesses. And Paul says, I'm not the only one saying this. There are the brethren who are with me who are affirming this truth. And so he defends the gospel, first of all, by defending the messenger, the one through whom the gospel was preached to them himself, Paul himself, an apostle sent out by the will of God uh, by, by Christ Jesus. And so second, he defends the gospel by showing the source and the result of the gospel. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can look at that and say that's a, a standard greeting. Uh, when we write a letter to people, we, we wish them grace, we wish them peace, but I, I think Paul is, is doing more here. He is, he is still defending the gospel. And he defends the gospel by emphasizing the source of the gospel. And that word is grace. Grace to you. The gospel comes as a gift of God's grace. We're saved by God's grace through faith. God saves us 
because He is gracious. He does not save us because of anything that we are. He does not save us because of anything that we do. He does not save us because we are observing the law. He does not save us because we are good. No, we are utterly and completely and totally sinful, hostile to God, enemies of God. But God saves us because God is gracious. God saves us because of His love toward us in Christ Jesus. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. It is not something that we earn. It's not something that we could ever deserve. It is a gift of God's grace, the gospel. Uh, he defends the gospel by emphasizing the source of the gospel. Grace. Grace to you. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. You don't have anything to, to boast about, nothing to glory about. The, the, the gospel is a gospel of grace. It's not God's reward for observing the law, but it is a gift of His grace to law breakers. Grace to you. And so he defends the gospel by defending the messenger. He defends the gospel by defending the source of the gospel. Grace to you. And he defends the gospel by emphasizing the result of the gospel. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace leads to peace. Peace with God. Reconciliation with God. Jesus was in, God was in the world reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. And through the gospel, the result of the gospel is peace peace with God. Now, when he uses this word peace, when the New Testament uses the word peace, it's not talking about the absence of conflict, as uh, Paul's experience in Galatia certainly uh, 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 gives, uh, gives evidence to. Peace does, not, peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Paul uh, was run out of, of, of Antioch. Uh, there was a plot to stone him in Iconium and Lystra. That plot actually came to being and Jews from Antioch and Iconium had chased him down, caught him in, in Lystra, stoned him and left him from dead, and he fled there and went to Derby. Uh, peace here does not mean the absence of conflict, the absence of hostility, the absence of tribulation, as we talked about last week, but peace, peace with God. When we're born, we are hostile to God, we are enemies of God, but God has shown his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and he reconciles us to himself and gives us peace and gives us, gives us, uh, makes us his sons and daughters, his children, his enemies are now adopted into his family, and we have peace with God uh, and and hostility of the world. And Jesus, on the last night of his earthly life, told his, told his disciples, he says, I've told you these things that you might have peace. But in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so when we have peace with God, then we can live at peace, even in the midst of the opposition of a sinful world, with the settled assurance that our lives are in his hands. And so Paul begins this letter directly defending the gospel, defending the messenger, uh, emphasizing the source, grace, emphasizing the result, peace. And then he gets right to the heart of the gospel in verse 4. 
Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. And so he goes right to the heart of the gospel. Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself for our sins. And that's the very heart of the gospel, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already mentioned the resurrection in verse 1. Uh, through, he's an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And Jesus was raised from the dead after giving himself for our sins. We are sinful. We deserve nothing from God except his wrath, his anger, his justice. Uh, but, but Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, left the glory of heaven. We celebrated it at Christmas time when Jesus came, when God came and, and became a man, and Jesus lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against all who will ever come to him in repentance and faith. God became a man so that he could be our representative, and his righteousness could be credited to us, and our sin could be credited to him. And as he died on the cross, God laid on him the iniquity of us all, all who will ever believe. And Jesus died for our sins, satisfying God's wrath, God's justice anger. God demands that sin be paid for, that sin be atoned. And Jesus bore our sins in his body, and he gave himself. He died on the cross for our sins. And so that cross is the very very heart of the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, he accomplished everything that was required for our salvation. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. He paid the penalty that we deserve as lawbreakers. And so the law was satisfied. The law was fulfilled. It is finished. It has been accomplished. We do not need to be in bondage and enslaved to the law in order to earn our salvation because Jesus fulfilled the law and he himself gave himself for our sins. And so Paul, right here in the introduction, right in the salutation, gets to the very heart of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection of Jesus he gave himself for our sins. And that's a gift of God's grace. And the result is reconciliation, peace with God. Because the penalty has been paid, because our sins have been taken away, then we are reconciled with God. And we have fellowship with him and peace with him because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And so Paul defends the gospel. He emphasizes the messenger. He emphasizes the source, grace. He emphasizes the result, peace. He gets to the heart of the gospel, the cross, who gave himself for our sins. And then he speaks then of the consequence of the gospel, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And so Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. The gospel is a rescue. It is a rescue mission. Jesus came into enemy territory. He fulfilled the law. He did battle on our behalf. And he won the great victory that he might rescue us. That he might deliver us. That he might save us. He not only saves us from God's wrath. But he saves us out of this present evil age. It is a rescue mission. And this is an evil age because uh, we're born in bondage and slavery to sin. 
slavery to sin and death. And Satan is the ruler of this world. And he has given great power to have dominion over this present evil age. But Jesus came to rescue. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The gospel is a rescue mission. And that word deliver, it's used four or five times in the, in the uh, New Testament. First place it's used is in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about your eye. And he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Pluck out your eye. And that's this word delivered to, to pluck out. And so Jesus has come to pluck us out, to pick us up and take us out of this present evil age. The other times it's used, we, we talked about uh, Peter being delivered from prison in the book of Acts. You remember that uh, Acts chapter 12, he was in prison and the church was praying for him. And uh, 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 the angel of the Lord came and delivered him, rescued him from, from his prison, rescued him from his bondage. It's also used in, the, in Acts chapter 8 in the, speak of, the speech of Stephen where it's talked about, talks about the, the deliverance, the rescue of the children of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. God comes and delivers them. He rescues them. He plucks them out of Egypt and puts them in the, the promised land. He saves them from their bondage. He delivers them from their slavery. He, he rescues them from their oppression in Egypt. And it's also used of the Apostle Paul when... Uh, uh, a, a band of Jews comes together and they've got him and they're about to kill him. Uh, a, a Roman commander comes in and rescues him and delivers him and takes him away from those enemies that are about to kill him. He is delivered. He is rescued. He is plucked out. The gospel is a rescue mission. And so the consequence of the gospel is that God delivers us from this present evil age, this age where we are in bondage, we're enslaved to sin, where the ruler of this world has great power and can bring great oppression upon us. Uh, Jesus rescues us. He delivers us from this present evil age. But we look at this text and, and like, like Longfellow, we, we look around and we say, wait a minute. <laughs> we have not been rescued. We have not been delivered. We are still right here in the middle of this evil age. We're right here in enemy territory. We're still in this place where, where hate is strong. And we're still in this world that seems to be ripped apart by, by hatred and by division and by animosity. And yet uh, Jesus came to rescue us. He came to deliver us out of this present age, but we're still here. We're still in enemy territory. We haven't been plucked out like we would pluck out our eye. But the consequence of the gospel is that we would be delivered from this evil age. And Jesus, on the last night of his earthly life in John chapter 17, uh, gathers his men around him and he prayed for his men. And he prayed to the Father. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you save them from the evil one. And so when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we are saved, we are delivered, we are rescued. Light shines in the darkness, and yet we're still in the world, but we're not of the world. And so this rescue of the gospel for now, now there is a time coming where he will deliver us from the presence of sin. But now in this age, we are in the world, but not of the world, and we have been set free. 
set free from the bondage, the slavery of sin. We're set free in this world to live lives that bring God glory, that glorify Him and glorify His grace. We're set free from the power, the bondage, the slavery of sin. And God protects us from the evil one. Uh, there is hostility, there is persecution, but God holds us in His hand and there is nothing in this evil age that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The light has shone in the darkness. And those who have come to Jesus Christ repentance and faith have been born again to new life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to be set free from the bondage of sin and set free to give God glory even in the midst of this evil age. We have been rescued. We have been delivered. We are safe. Even though we are in the world, we are not of the world. And even though we are in the world, we are protected from the evil one. He has rescued us. He has delivered us from this present evil age. And so how does, God, how does Paul defend the gospel? He defends the gospel by emphasizing the messenger and apostle uh, through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He defends the gospel by emphasizing the source. It's a gospel of grace, God's favor, God's kindness, the undeserved love of God that He has chosen to place upon us. The result of the gospel, peace with God. We've been reconciled with God by His grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ. He defends the gospel by emphasizing the heart of the gospel, the cross. Jesus gave Himself for our sins. He defends the gospel by emphasizing the effect of the gospel, that He might deliver us from this present evil age. And then He defends the gospel by telling us the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The purpose of the gospel is God's glory, to show His grace. And, and God is glorified in the gospel because the gospel is a gift of His grace from beginning to end, before the foundation of the earth, pur purposing to, to save, his, save His people, to redeem His sinful people to Himself. He sends His Son, Jesus, who fulfills the law on our behalf and then dies on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against our sins. God raises Him from the dead. The Holy Spirit makes us alive and draws us to Himself and He grants us the gifts of repentance and faith as a gift of His grace. And because the gospel is the work of God from beginning to end, to God alone be the glory. God is glorified in the gospel because the gospel is a gift of His grace from beginning to end. He puts His love on us who do not deserve it, who cannot earn it, who do nothing right. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Dead in our trespasses and sin, totally incapable of doing anything, anything good in His sight. God in His grace showed His love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. To God alone be the glory. We're not saved because we obey the law. We're not saved because we're pretty good. We're not saved because we're not as bad as most people. We're not saved because we had the, the uh, uh, 
intellectual ability to discover the gospel and to make ourselves uh, educated and smart about the things of God. We are saved by God's grace and we have nothing to brag about. We have nothing to boast about. To God be the glory because the gospel is a gospel of grace. And so Paul had invested a whole lot in planting these churches in Galatia. A lot of personal sacrifice. A lot of pain and difficulty. Traveling and being run out of town and being stoned and left for dead. He poured his heart and his soul into the planting of these churches. And instead of taking the easy way out and going back home, he went back right into enemy territory to encourage them and to establish elders in each of those churches. And you can imagine his pain when he heard that these churches that he'd invested so much in were being led astray and actually perverting the gospel. And he's angry. He's disappointed. He's astounded. And he takes his pen in his hand and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes a vigorous defense of the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And that defense of the gospel begins right at the beginning. Even in the greeting, Paul aggressively defends the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace. message of the gospel is for the glory of God. Paul is, a, is its messenger sent out by God and sent out with the authority of Jesus Christ with the message of Jesus, the good news. Grace is its source, peace is its result, the cross is at its heart. The consequence is rescue, salvation, from the wrath of God and from this present evil age. And it happens according to the will of God from beginning to end. And therefore, He gets all the glory. And so as we respond to this gospel message, the first is we've, we've got to be very careful that we don't add any, any requirements to the gospel. We'll get into this more as we go to the book of, of Galatians. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone. And we've got to be very careful that we don't add any, any requirements, that we don't put any barriers in people who are coming to, to the Lord by their faith in Jesus Christ. No additional rules, no regulations, no requirements because salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. We have to, 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 to hold fast to the gospel of grace, the doctrines of grace. That our salvation is a gift of God from beginning to end. He purposed to save. He sent His Son to die for those that He had chosen to save. He rose Him from the dead. And the Holy Spirit brings every single one of His children. And He holds them into the end of this present evil age. To the uh, consummation, the fulfillment of our salvation according to His will. And so we have to be very careful not to pervert, not to twist 
the gospel, not to add any requirements that the scripture doesn't place before us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And then I think second application, to whom, to God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. We don't have anything to brag about. We don't have anything to boast about. We were sinners who were dead in trespasses and sin, and it's all God's grace. By God's grace, He chose us. He, he made us alive. He sent His Son to, to pay the penalty that we deserve. He raised Him from the dead. He calls us to Himself. He empowers us to live uh, godly lives in this evil age. And He holds on us through His power, through faith, until the end, until the salvation is, is to be revealed. It is a gift of His grace from beginning to end. To God alone be the glory. And so as we think about Jesus and we think about His coming, we remember the gospel of grace. Grace is the source, peace is the result, and the consequence is our rescue from this evil age for the purpose of God's glory. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for the gospel of grace. And Lord, we know that as humans, it's so easy for us to, to, to think that such a great and awesome gift, we've, we've got somehow to do something to earn it. Somehow we have to merit that. Somehow we have to be worthy. Somehow we have to deserve it. And Lord, we're so tempted to, to think that somehow we added to our, we, we contributed somehow to our salvation. But we thank you for this reminder that salvation is a gift of your grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we have to constantly be reminded of this because of our, our, our tendency to, to seek to exalt and glorify ourselves. And to think that somehow, some way, we did something that caused you to set your affection upon us. God, we repent. And thank you for this reminder. Grace alone. Only by your grace. Grace from beginning to end. And so, Lord, help us to just give you praise. Give praise to the glory of your grace. And Lord, as we go about this week, and as people are thinking about the birth of Jesus, the incarnation when God became a man, Lord, help us to be instruments of this gospel of grace. Not to share the ideas or traditions of men, but the word of God, the word of Christ. Find us faithful in pointing to you and you alone, to whom all glory forever and ever. Amen. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, will of our God and Father, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.